What a great day to be together. Our vision during COVID for Emmanuel is simply this. God is calling us to step out in faith, to join him in moving as we love him and love others in new and innovative ways. Sometimes I think God forces us that way, doesn't he? And COVID is a part of that. Uh, about two years ago, uh, we had a new member come into our family, and his name is Deacon. Deacon is our beloved golden retriever dog. And if you remember a few years ago, I think I even spoke and shared about uh, getting a new animal. I didn't say who. I was just uh, a little um, dealing with the trauma of losing Thompson, who we had before. Now that we have Deacon, we've had him a couple of years, I'm learning to develop a relationship with him. And he's learning to develop a relationship with me. And we go running. I, I love to run. And actually, I spend a fair bit of time running, not very long, but enough to uh, feel healthy, enough to be able to enjoy the foods I like to eat, and uh, enough to get my dog out running. And so one day we were out running as we're discovering this, and we were coming up to a school area, and, and often I run when parents are dropping their kids off and, and, uh, and leaving, and so it's hectic, it's busy. And, one of the, and, and as we were running through this, this school area, and I was watching kids, I was watching parents, I was watching cars, so I didn't run into any of that thing, my dog all of a sudden took off in front of me, and I went right over top of him. One of the things I'm learning about Deacon is he, his attention goes other places really quickly. He's that typical dog squirrel. He's that. And he actually saw a squirrel, because when we run beside uh, the school, there's some trees, and he saw a squirrel and ran up. And and he wanted to go after the squirrel, so he paid attention to the squirrel, not to me, not to our relationship, and he started going, and I went over top. Now, in good fashion, um, I jumped up, I looked around, and I said, hey, all good. (laughs) Nothing wrong here, you know, nothing to look at. Uh, I was really embarrassed. Uh, maybe that's why we respond the way we do. Have you ever done that? Have you ever responded that way? Or maybe you spilled something. Uh, maybe you've tripped. You ever catch that lip when you're walking on a sidewalk that just sticks up a little bit higher and you trip and fall and, and you want to pretend that nothing happened and, and yet you're bleeding. And, and I was at the, in, the, in the morning when I was running with Deacon and I had my, my uh, running clothes were ripped up. I had skin coming off my hands. But I, I was so focused when I toppled over Deacon and I got up and I was so embarrassed. Do you know what often happens? We get angry. And I yelled. I said to my dog, you idiot. Now, I, I totally lost concept of where I was. I'm yelling at my dog in front of these elementary school children and their parents. I'm yelling, for goodness sake, at a dog. I have no idea what he's thinking or what he's understanding. (laughs) But there I am, angry, yelling. After I came back home that day, what the first thought that really went to me, other than, oh my goodness, I cannot believe what I just did. I cannot believe what my dog just did. I thought, man, I should have got that dog, that little chihuahua named Todd. I wouldn't have tripped over him. Deacon came into our family's life just under two years ago. Relationships are messy, aren't they? Discovering relationships, discovering how you work together, even with dogs. Sometimes there's bumps, sometimes there's bruises. It's always messy, and you know what? There's even joy in these relationships, right? 
And that's all a part of figuring it out. How is your relationship with Jesus these days? Are there bumps? Are there bruises? Is it messy? Are there joys? Have you figured out this relationship? You know, there's some things we, we absolutely love and we know about Jesus, and we stand on those things, don't we? We, we love to hear how much he cares for us, and we love when he takes care of us and, 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 and walks us through life. But are there other times there's some things that we, we just don't get, we don't understand. It's because this relationship is growing, and we're growing together. We will always learn new things. We will always uh, come across things we don't understand and we have to walk through. How is your relationship with Jesus? We have been going through the book of Matthew. The first book of, of the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament. This is a book of the great news of Jesus Christ. It's about the wonderful news of a new way of life. A life in a relationship with Jesus if we choose it. Part of this new way of life is discovering that we are citizens of a new kingdom. And Matthew calls it God's kingdom. Jesus calls it God's kingdom. And we can be part of this new kingdom if we invite Jesus into our lives and let him take over the running of our life. If we get into this messy, yet joyous, yet nervous, yet there's nothing better than a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus began telling us about this, this new kingdom in, uh, in Matthew chapter 5. And, and we're going to pick that up again today as we go through. And I simply want us for the time today to answer this one question. And maybe it's the question we ask as we read the next two or three or four chapters in the book of Matthew. And it's this, what does it mean to be citizens of the kingdom of God? What does it mean to be citizens of God's kingdom? Let me read for you Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. And it says this. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if, even if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to the person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. It's interesting, when, when this was written and when Jesus was speaking, um, it actually was true that if you have a debt to pay and you couldn't pay it, you'd be put in jail until it was paid. Kind of wondered how that works out, hey? Citizen of God's kingdom. What does it mean to be citizens of God's kingdom? A few things that for our time today, it's this. Keeping the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. 
If you are a citizen in God's kingdom, you keep the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Verse 21 and 22 says this, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. And then Jesus comes along and he says this, but I say if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And he continues on. Mikey taught us last week that Jesus did not come to get rid of the law. He did not come to get rid of the relationship that, Jew, that the Jews had with God. He came, in fact, to fulfill it. That's what the passage says just before the one we read in Matthew. He came to fill in the blanks. Jesus came to adjust their way of thinking, our way of thinking. Um, think of it this way. He came to give us a tune-up, like a, like a car tune-up. He came to update the information. He came to update the technology um, that, that at one time they had read about in times past, but now they actually could have it. And Jesus ushered that technology, that newness with his entry into our world and through his death and resurrection. Mechanic Jesus was now here, and he was going to tell us about the car, <laughs> Jesus reminds them to keep the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. The, the religious leaders of the day kept the letter of the law. In fact, they were really good of it, really good at it, pardon me. The letter of the law was simply this in this passage: you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. We see that in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, where we get the Ten Commandments. It's a part of that. They were meticulous that's the Pharisees, at keeping this law. They followed it. They took the words that were written down and they lived by them. This is what it means simply to keep the letter of the law. They are, for example, like rules in a game. You follow the rules. They are, the, um, they are there for you to follow. And in fact, there are penalties if you do not follow the rules and the rules to the letter. Unfortunately, what can happen when we follow the rules of the game. What happens sometimes is that we, the rules become the game, don't they? What happens when we follow rules so tightly? Isn't this what infuriates some of us when we play a game? Is that people follow the rules and that becomes the game. Yet rules are not meant to be the game, they are meant to be a guide. They are meant to free the game players up to enjoy the game. They are not the game. They are important because they allow us to play the game. But again, they are not the game. What had happened was the relationship with God became about the rules. So if you followed the rules, you had a good relationship with God. All you have to do is keep following the rules. What the rules did for the Pharisees and those who focused heavenly on them was that they got credit with God and with others every time they kept the rules. Salvation became about keeping the rules. Salvation was up to them, was up to you, is up to us. They had lost sight that salvation was up to God, not us. It's not earned. And Jesus wants to remind us here. So Jesus comes along and he says this, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, 
you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Rules were only there to point the Jews and to point us to the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is what they desperately needed. It's the motivation behind the rules. We are in desperate need for someone to save us. That's what Jesus says here. That's what he says to us. That's what he said to the Pharisees. That's what he said to all those who are listening. We are in desperate need because you could see the rules and because we could not possibly follow the rules. We are in desperate need of someone to help us in life. And the reality is, Jesus didn't deny it. We commit things like murder. But not just that, we actually get angry. Jesus wants us to understand our need for God, so he takes things a step further. He takes things a step deeper. He says, it's not just about what you do anymore, it's about what you say. It's not just about an outward action, it's about an inward heart issue. We are guilty of murder when we simply get angry. Whoa! Whoa! (laughs) You catch that? We are actually guilty of murder when we say words. Who doesn't get angry? Jesus is talking here about anger that tears people down. It's that anger that devalues other people, that dehumanizes people. And you see this in verse 22 when he says, you call people an idiot or you call people a raka or worthless. And we'll look at that in just a second. But when you treat people that way. Now what he's not referring to is there is an a, a righteous anger. There is anger for positive purposes. And that's another subject for another sermon for another day. That's not what this passage is talking about. Jesus is simply asking us to remember it's about the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Our relationship with God is about living out of connection with God who understands, a God who forgives, a God who heals, a God who cares deeply and loves us. It's not about following a set of rules or being good enough. Please remember this as we read the rest of Matthew because he's going to bring up a number of rules. Truth is, we are not good enough. We are not good enough. We can't be good enough because we can't stop calling people idiots. (laughs) Oh, or other words. Idiots actually mean stupid, brainless, numbskull. I haven't maybe heard that term in a while. (laughs) Or worthless. You know, it's interesting, if we have an example of what letter of the law is versus what letter of the spirit is, think of COVID. Think of what we're challenged. How many of us have gotten so wrapped up in the rules, in the letter that has been written about COVID, the details of the law, the details of what's been handed out, that we've actually, forgot, we've actually forgotten the spirit behind what was written? The intent behind COVID and what was written to help is to help keep people safe. It's to have healthy long-term. <laughs> it's to give our medical system the ability to withstand the intense pressures of a lot of very sick people. That's, that's the spirit 
Actually, Bonnie Henry, I think, brings in the Spirit by our mantra, right? Be calm, be kind, be safe. She reminds us of the Spirit behind the law. could take it another way. I, uh, in my previous years, I worked as a referee, and I refereed basketball. Loved it. And I was refereeing a game one time in an area that's called Smithers, where I was pastoring years ago, and and it was a game between Terrace, a, uh, a city just to the, I guess, west of Smithers, and Houston, a town just to the east of Smithers. And it was the final game in this tournament in Smithers. It was a close game. And, and, and so it was getting intense. And at that time, now I think you have like three referees in games. We only had two. And so you're doing your best. You're enjoying the game. You want to keep a flow in the game. That's what the referee does. The referee... Um, Let's the rules not control the game, but give boundaries to the spirit of the game. You don't want to see the referees. <laughs> you don't really want to see the rules, but they're there to create and give some formation so the game can be enjoyed by all. And this game was intense. And it was coming down to where Houston was struggling a bit, and they were struggling with some of the calls that they were being made. They were struggling with, with how things were being done. And so they started taking it out on the referees. And I remember standing by their bench, and, and I was being called all sorts of names and by players, by the coaches, by the fans, you name it. What was interesting is that Houston Ghost got so wrapped up in the, the letter of the game, the rules, that it actually threw them off. They couldn't play their game, the one that they had planned, that they had drawn up. And, and, and so they were getting frustrated, and, and they started getting angry at each other, at those around them, us as referees and even the fans, at each other, they ended up losing the game. They lost the game. Not only did they lose the game, but they didn't enjoy the game. Why? Because they were so focused on the letter of the game, and they didn't play. <laughs> they didn't enjoy the game. They lost the game. That's what happens when we focus on the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law. We get so wrapped up in those little pieces that we lose sight of the bigger picture. You know, what was quite interesting and funny, and sometimes God does this, I think. He allows us to have a little bit of entertainment um, when we leave things up to him. Uh, I went away that night uh, after the game. Uh, the Houston team got on the bus, and I, I get it. When you lose in, in a tough game, it's hard. You don't want to have conversations with the referee and those kinds of things. They jumped on the bus. They headed home. They didn't know, but I was preaching in Houston that next Sunday, which was, this was Saturday, Sunday followed. And so the, the pastor at the Houston church and I decided to swap pulpits for that Sunday. So I went there, he came our way, and, and I, I got up to preach. And, and I usually sit at the front, and I got up to preach, I turned around, and as I turned around, I looked out, and you know what I saw? I saw half of the Houston basketball team. And, and the bonus was, is that I was preaching on Romans chapter 5, which talks about forgiveness. And it talks about our need for a savior. And it talks about our need to change and repent. And I'm looking out at these, half the team and the coach, who the night before, oh my goodness, and their faces just dropped and went red. <laughs> oh, lots of stories. Citizens of God's kingdom keep the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Keep the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Two citizens of God's kingdom treat anger as a serious thing. 
You see here in verse 22 to 25. Again, I'll I'll read it for you because it's the Lord's word. It says this, But I say, if you even are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone there at, pardon me, and you suddenly, suddenly remember that something has, someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. And so on. Citizens of God's kingdom Treat anger as a serious thing. Anger requires accountability. Here, Jesus didn't deny that, and he continued it on from the earlier statement from the Ten Commandments. And sometimes anger requires, he said, uh, a local judgment or a court. They said, and the court for them was a tribunal. It was made up of the towns around them. And, and so if someone committed murder, what they did is they would bring the court together. And, and through that, they would have the opportunity to hear the sides of the person who had committed the crime and the reasons for it, and then pronounce them guilty or not guilty. And so he says, the same would be as when you're angry. There is this court you are held accountable. And even if it, you're not held accountable here at, with your fellow men which, and women, which I think we are and we should be, it says you're actually held accountable, it uses the words, with the fires of hell. In other words, eternity. God, eternal God, holds us accountable. He holds us accountable for what we say. So Jesus says, don't excuse your anger. Don't gloss over anger. Angerness is a serious thing. Don't make anger less than what it truly is. Jesus says he takes anger seriously. So it needs to be weighed in the same balance as murder. Have, um, have you ever watched the news um, you know, about our community or around the world and thought, you know what, life doesn't seem to mean too much to people sometimes, does it? The taking of a life here and there, just a constant. We got the gang warfare. We got all sorts of things. We got uh, drug uh, abuse and, and just there seems to be an outcry from some, but not from many. But do you ever find you're numb, your, your heart kind of numb? How much is a life worth to us? That's what Jesus is asking here. When you get angry and you call them an idiot or you call them stupid, you're making a comment about how much life means to you and the life of others mean to you. When you get angry with your kids, how much is life worth? When you yell at your spouse, how much are you saying their life is worth? When you get angry at your boss, your coworker, your friend, your family, how much are their lives worth to you? How we respond to each other, God says, is a serious, serious thing. Anger requires accountability because God says it matters. How you treat people matters. Anger is so destructive as well, Jesus says here. It's the murderer's root. In other words, anger can lead to murder. What's the first action we have after Adam and Eve, or after Adam and Eve come out of the, uh, the Garden of Eden? We have Cain and Abel. What happens? Murder. <laughs> in fact, it's a beautiful thing at the end of that chapter, in chapter 4, 
God gives us the ability to pray. And he says people that had a relationship with him were known as people of prayer. Why do you think prayer is so important? Because we have to murder, because we're in need, because we can't get it together, because we need a Savior, we need a Lord. Anger is so destructive. Anger destroys, it shatters a person's view of themselves. It shatters their self-confidence. As I mentioned earlier, verse 22 in some of the the, uh, Bible interpretations we have, it uses the word raka, R-A-C-A, which means you are utterly worthless. I despise you. You fool. You're stupid. Has anybody ever said that to you? Have you ever said that to anyone else? Have you told that to people who are close to you? Why, why have you said it? Have you said it because you've gotten what? A- angry. Probably many reasons why you're angry, but you've gotten angry and this is what you've said. What's it like to be on the receiving end of you are stupid? Constantly being told you are stupid. Anger is so destructive, yet it is so normal in many relationships. Sadly, it's so hard to come back to a healthy place mentally when you are called worthless because you begin to believe it. Downgrading a human fe- fellow human being who is made in the image of God, just like we are, to call them stupid, to call them an idiot, to be angry with them, is just unacceptable. And God says it's wrong because they are made, we are made, we are all made in the image of God. Isn't it a horrible, crazy thing that we often use this kind of language because we're trying to get to motivate people to get better? It does the opposite. Control your anger. Control your temper. Anger destroys community. Anger destroys community. Anger costs, Jesus says here. It keeps others away from you. So please go and repair these relationships. That is what he is saying here. It's so important to deal with your anger and how it impacts others that Jesus says, before you go to Sunday service, before you come to worship by watching the TV and and hearing speakers or or, uh, singing songs, before you sing your favorite Jesus songs, as you're about to give your best to God, before you do that, if something has gone wrong, if you have created a bad relationship, if you have gotten angry with someone, go and make it right. That's what he says here. He says, remember that um, going and making it right is the best that needs to be done for those around you and for you. This is Jesus' kingdom living. Imagine the impact Jesus would have on this earth if those of us who love him simply dealt with our anger and repaired relationships. Imagine the impact Jesus would have on this earth if we simply dealt with our anger and repaired relationships. In this Jesus kingdom, all lives matter to Jesus. How we interact with each other matters to Jesus. How much do others matter to us? Last thing, I just want to say this. Citizens of God's kingdom are motivated by Jesus Christ. We have verse 23 and 24 there. Citizens of God's kingdom are motivated by Jesus Christ. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, 
Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. I think what he's saying here is that every time we come to Jesus, every time we take communion, every time we serve Jesus, we are reminded of the deep love, of the forgiving love of Jesus to someone who doesn't deserve it, which is me. I deserve anger and I deserve wrath. In fact, Romans 5 says this, 6 to 11, when we were yet powerless, in other words, we could not do anything on our own. When we were ungodly, in other words, we didn't want to have anything to do with God. When we were sinners, in other words, we were actually bent to do the opposite of what God desired. We could not. We did not want to do anything that God desired. It says, well, we were his enemies. In other words, we wanted to see God lose. It was not about God winning. It was about him losing, and we would do anything to do that. He said, Jesus Christ at that time reconciled us. What do we deserve? Ephesians 4 says this, verse 32, 30 and 32. Get rid of all rage, all anger. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why? Because just as in Christ, God forgave you. When we get angry, it's always a good reminder to look at ourselves. Actually, anger truly is often not about any other person at all, right? It's often about something that's gone wrong or we think has gone wrong within us. And it points us back to the need for a savior. I met a man named Albert years ago. Albert um, was a gentleman, I think he was in his 60s when I met him. When he was six, he told me he lived in Germany. And um, this was in the 1940s. We were getting to know him. Him and I were getting to know each other. And so he thought, you know, Todd, this is the very first thing he told me. He says, I, I got to tell you a story. This is my life. This is how I, I, I live. This is what I live out of. He says, we were in Germany in the 1940s. And it was the time when the Second World War was about to hit and come around. And he said, Todd, I was about six years old. And I got up every morning like I normally get up. I go and sit with my dad and with my 10-year-old brother. And he was six at the time, and, and we have porridge together, and we enjoy that conversation, and, and we love each other, and we talked about what the day was going to be, because dad was about to go off and work. And, and so we were sitting around the table enjoying that day. Dad smiled. He gave me a big hug, and he said, you know, okay, i got to go off to the farm. So I, I, Albert said, I ran to the front door. I opened it up so dad could go through. Dad walked through, and he headed off to the farm to work in the fields with many other uh, far, uh, individuals that worked on the farm as well. That's how they made their living. And he watched dad, and he waved to dad, and dad waved back to him, and, and, and off he went. Then Albert would go throughout his day and do a little bit of schoolwork that they had to do. And, and when dad would come home each day, he would run to the door, because dad would normally come home about the same time in the evening. And, and so he would see dad at a distance, and he would open up the door, and dad would come there. And then they could hug again and have dinner and enjoy their company and, and talk about what happened uh, during the day, because that's what dad always asked. And on this day, Albert opened the door, saw nothing. Hmm. Odd. 
went and did about his business a little bit, and then he saw someone in the distance that was walking up towards the, uh, the drive up towards the house, so he ran to the door. It's dad! It's dad! He opens the door, and it's a neighbor. And the neighbor is running to the house. It's not dad anymore. And the neighbor runs right through Albert, runs right to his mom, and, and, and has a conversation. And as Albert's trying to figure out what's going on, his mom runs upstairs, grabs a couple of coats, grabs uh, a little a bag that they happen to have, stuffs some clothes in it, comes down to Albert and comes down to his brother and says, okay, you guys, I have, I'm going to run you down to the train. We've booked a spot on the train, and I'm sending you off to your aunts in Britain. And Albert's like, what is going on? That day, the Nazis came to the farm and took the workers took the men. Albert is Jewish. They took his dad. And as much as Albert knows from what his mom has told him, that his dad, along with these other Jewish men, were taken to the concentration camps and ended up in the gas chamber and sadly, lost, tragically, lost their lives. Albert never saw his dad again. And as Albert is telling me this story and tears are starting to come down his eyes a little bit. And he's, he's, it's like it was yesterday. And this is over 60 years ago. And I, and I look at him and I'm, I'm, I'm almost in shock. I'm like, how in the world do you do it? Like, you're not angry, Albert. And he wasn't. I'm like, how do you not get angry over such a thing? He says, Todd, I was at a time. I said, but I've learned to, to deal with it. He says, Christ came into my life, and my mom taught us this, that we're all in need of forgiveness. And sometimes, when you look at the cross of Christ, not sometimes, all the time, you see yourself in need of Christ, just like everyone else does. And you look at his forgiveness, and you look at his love and his sacrifice, and you realize there's nothing better. And that's what's needed. You are just like the person that you need to forgive. And Jesus has taught me that. And that's what I did. And that's how I can get by. And that's how I can win. And that's what I operate out of. Man. Albert. <laughs> Nobody should ever have to go through any of this stuff. But we do, because this is life, right? But Jesus comes into our lives. Jesus came into the lives of the Jews then. And he says, I want you to know, you are citizens of a different kingdom. There is a different way to do things. But you got to remember, keep the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. you got to remember, treat anger as a serious, horrible, awful thing that it can be. And you got to remember that we are motivated every time we go to look at Jesus Christ, of our own need for a Savior and a Lord. You know, I read once from an author named Stuart Briscoe, he says this, when Jesus Christ arrived on the scene of over 2,000 years ago, he was different. He had the capacity to live among the poor, the rich, men, women, belligerent theologians, coarse soldiers, and desperate sufferers. Composed and articulate, tough, yet tender. He strode across 
and the tiny corner of our world for over little over 30 years, and our world has never recovered from his visit. Those who heard him and followed him as disciples became different as Jesus himself was different. This is the church. Difference makers with capacity. Changing our world as we pass through, letting Christ live in the here and now. Jesus loves you. Live it because it's true. Change our world. Father, you're gracious. You're truthful. You're honest. You say it like it is. We need to hear it like it is, even if we don't like it. Yet you say it in such a way that you hold us with comfort. Lord, there are many who have gone through a lot of challenging times, and maybe are in them right now. They need your comfort. We need your strength. We need your wisdom. Father, thank you for reminding us of the bigger picture that we are just as guilty in many ways. And simply because we get angry and we direct that anger. Lord, I, I pray that every time we get angry that we would see your face. <laughs> and so we would stop. That we would replace that anger with love. That we would replace that anger with a new way of doing things. Lord Jesus, you know we need to. You tell us. You've given us your, your word to tell us how to do this. And, and so we thank you. But Father, we need you, Holy Spirit to empower us to do so. We need you to help us to stand up when things are being said that shouldn't be said. We need to stand up and represent you, Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.